Hey, Gen. Hey, Job. How's we here at the Gen and Job show would mm -hmm. like to say that we don't condone racism in any form, and we want to support everything that is happening with this country at the moment. We stand strong with Black Lives Matter. We are a corporation. We have said nothing of real substance or value because we are not a person. We are an entity. Yeah, dude. I'm going to make the Twitter have a black picture. Yeah, make sure you do that. I'm going to put up a, a statement with white text on a black background that says we stand with all lives so that way that the statement can be looked at positively uh, no matter which side of the fence you land on. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we'll just... Uh, We'll just uh, hide in a corner until this ends, and then we can resume being a big brand oh, that sells okay. you the products. Oh, okay. okay. You know, no, nah, but anyway, uh, <laughs> obviously, yeah. Um, obviously, that was all sarcasm. Black Lives Matter, fuck the police. Yeah, but get them. Have you been seeing how brands be? <laughs> Dude, I, I hate it. I can't fucking um, stand like, it. Like, we're getting a double dose of it because we're in Pride Month as well. So you have a bunch of brands pretending to care about gay people and black people at the same time now. Um, and a lot of them are so, so easy to see through. And a lot of them are just frankly disgusting and don't do anything. Um, what are some of the ones you've been seeing that you, made you go? Because <sighs> I've been seeing a lot. I don't know, dude, it's fucking most of them. Let me, let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. Any corporation that's not personality-driven, it makes little to no sense. I mean, maybe it, maybe it brings comfort to some people. If that's the case, it's all you, buddy. But when I see a brand, just like a brand, like a lifeless brand like Adidas, or like fucking Taco Bell, <laughs> say... They put that kind of statement out. It feels... It'll always ring hollow to me. No matter what you do. It will yeah. always ring hollow. Because you... America has this weird problem. I mean, I guess it's more like a capitalism problem. Where all these brands feel like people to, to some members of this society. Well, especially on Twitter, because yeah. they try to have their snarky personalities and stuff. Like, I don't know who started it. I don't know if it was Wendy's or what. Certainly but, like, one of them. It's now, like, a thing that every single brand has to go, like, ha-ha, here's Mr. Peanut, and now he's a baby, and, like, you, you can watch him on Instagram Live. And, <laughs> and like, I want to die. <laughs> but, um... They try to have like these personalities, and everybody goes like, "Haha, yeah, I'll buy the Arby's album, I'll buy the Wendy's album, it's... I'll watch Mister, I'll watch the Kool Aid Man stream on Twitch." Like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so fucking it's, weird. It's really weird. Um, I want to give a shout out to to um a couple brands that had the worst possible ones yeah, and you, a couple brands that had actually good ones. So, uh, the, one of the worst ones I saw was a uh, game stop. No, not game stop game spot. Sorry. Game spot news website. And they literally said for the next eight and such and such minutes, we will not post any news on our Twitter. And it was like the length of time that, uh, 
George Floyd was being choked. They didn't post any news articles. And it's how brave, how brave, how brave that they didn't post any news articles on their Twitter for that entire length of time. Incredible, In the AM hours. Incredible. Yeah. And then it's funny. I like Rockstar as a company, but they have had they had one of the worst ones. And that was uh, for the next like I want to say it was only like three hours. We will uh, shut down the servers for GTA Online and Red Dead Redemption 2 online uh, in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. And um, I guess that stopped racism specifically in those games for three hours. But other, but there's nothing of actual value that was done by doing that. It's such an empty gesture that means nothing that it was super insulting and laughable to see. Dude, I hate it. Um, now, God. I will say an example of some that were good. Uh, Square Enix out of nowhere said we're donating... Uh, however many millions of dollars they said they're donating and we're going to match every single one of our employees donations. And I'm like, that's good. That's actually donating to the cause. Now you can be super skeptical, like uh, cynical and I guess be like, well, they have more money than that. But amongst the sea of corporations that offered nothing but words, I genuinely do appreciate the ones that actually donated because it seems like they didn't have to because so many other corporations are skirting by without doing so. Uh, my favorite is the Lego Corporation, actually. Lego said, here's $4 million. Also, we're quietly removing <laughs> any sets from our websites and from stores that have to do with the police <laughs> or the White House. <laughs> <laughs> fucking incredible so lego is straight up not selling at least for the time being uh their white house set which is fairly popular part of the lego architecture set which is actually a pretty cool set of legos that um are sets that each uh represent a landmark or cool building uh you know there's like the fucking falling waters one there's the eiffel tower there's the white house you know there's all these cool things but like they're not selling the White House one right now. <laughs> and they're not selling any sets with uh, cops, like police station Lego set or anything. Um, cool. Good move, Lego. I like your products. And I liked the Lego Batman movie. Good job. <laughs> oh, man. I, don't know, I like. But yeah, for the most part, it's been obnoxious. <laughs> yeah. I like when they like, at least, at least some, some of them donated. Some of them donated were nice. I don't know, like. I appreciated, uh, there's a really good, um, episode of the Kind of Funny podcast I recommend some people watch about it, where, uh, their newest host that they hired, Blessing Adeoye Jr., who's a black man, was on there talking to them about everything that was going on in his experience, and it was yeah. really, really cool, and, uh, I don't know, it was a really, really touching episode, they had a lot to say, a lot of good things to say, um, shoutouts to them, shoutouts to Blessing, he's awesome. Uh, yeah, he's he's a great addition. They've made some great additions in, in recent years. And uh, great subtractions. Hey. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs>
welcome to the Get and Jump Show. That's Ken. Hey, hello, hi, hi, how's it going? Hi, hey, how are you doing? I'm Jump! It's showtime, baby! Today we're talking about Friday the 13th, part 6. Jason lives, baby. We're halfway through, motherfucker, holy shit. It's, it's weird to think that we're only halfway through. No, actually, yeah. <laughs> also, considering we're probably at the peak, because um, this, this one was surprisingly excellent. Yeah. Um, for a Friday film, this is probably like a 10 out of 10. For normal film standards, it's probably like a 7 out of 10. But like in the context of it already having against it that it's a Friday the 13th film, <laughs> it's, Jason Lives is like a 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> I don't because this whole series is like sixes, right? That's kind of like what they've been like in my head. It's like you can't really say that they're perfect, but they're fun and they're enjoyable. And I would watch them again. They're they're not bad. They're nothing like you know the Texas Chainsaw remake or like Catwoman or some shit. Like like they're actually fun, but they're not excellent. But that one was better than usual. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited to. I'm excited to get into it in a bit. Yep. First, though, we are going to talk about one particular game that we and uh, me and Gen started playing together last night. So uh, yeah, Predator Hunting Grounds by Elphonic Games, same people that made the Friday the Thirteenth game that me and him have also been loving and playing lately. And what a coincidence that we're playing the Friday game while we're watching the Friday movies. I, I wish this game. For, with the Predator came out when we were watching the Predator movies, actually. Right. Um, I like that synergy when we're... Uh, we're like, I always like playing the video games of a series when we're watching the films of a series anyway. Like, I, w- I would love to actually give the bad NES uh, Friday game a chance before we end this. Uh, but anyway, Predator Hunting Ground is pretty good. Um... I yeah, I enjoyed quite a bit. There's a, it is a really basic game, which yeah, I think that's my only like real complaint is that it seems, and and this was probably a problem with Friday when it first came out, uh, maybe overly basic. There's not a lot of variety to the level design or the things it asks you to do, or the gameplay loop in general. But there is a lot of variety in the. Uh, level of uh, skill that your other player characters can have, and that can either make the game more fun or less fun. Yeah. Um, If you don't understand what this game is, if you've only seen it in passing, um, it's similar in concept to like a game like Friday the 13th or Dead by Daylight, where there is a big primary antagonist monster character and then a team of normal people. So it's 4v1, technically speaking, but it's a little more complicated than that. It's, it's kind of like you, you have a Call of Duty game happening with four playable characters on a squad of just, you know, meathead marine mans. Uh, and they're uh, trying to do an objective in a Call of Duty game, uh, complete with AI enemies that you have to shoot. Uh, but while that game is happening, a predator shows up and tries to kill you and all the enemies, too. Sometimes he's just around doing his own thing, and he's not directly antagonizing the player characters uh, because he's killing other things. (laughs) 
but it's kind of cool. I, I kind of like that it feels like a game that could have existed without the Predator mechanic. But then the Predator thing makes it way more interesting. Yeah. I, I... And then the pl- and playing as the Predator is completely different because uh, you're, you're first person as the, uh, the squad or whatever. And then Predator's third person gameplay as you try to mow everybody else down and uh, take the trophies of their skulls. Yeah, which looks pretty sick, by the way. Yeah, there's there's like executions just like in Friday a little bit. And uh, I haven't done a lot of playing as the Predator because one major difference is there's not like a uh, randomness to who you're going to play as. Uh, You're basically, if you're choosing to play with your friends, you're choosing to play as the Marines or whatever. Uh, Predator is if you're just going into a game solo if you want to be the Predator. And I haven't experimented with that. I don't know if it's like as bad trying to get a match as it is for something like Resident Evil Resistance. I hope it's not. Uh, because to this day, I only played as a mastermind in Resident Evil Resistance once. And it wasn't a good experience. And I'm also done playing that game. So I guess it's only ever going to be once. So I hope I actually get to play as the Predator a lot. Because. Hopefully this game has a bigger player base anyway. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see how long it lasts. My only... Yeah, my, my biggest my biggest problem with the game right now is... Yeah, that it, it is a little hollow. Uh, there's not too much to do, and I wonder if that's going to keep a player base around for a while. Well, the way for them to fix that is to add more maps, add more characters, add more variety. Um, like, for instance... Uh, one thing I would like to see is every single level is jungle-based. I would like to see some variety. You get a city-based um, one like Predator 2. I would really like a L.A. level. Concrete jungle, you know? With, like, uh, I would also love Danny Glover as a character. Because they added Arnie recently, and it's actually Arnold, which is uh, kind of fucking cool. He is a little expensive, though. I'm considering buying him, but I'm not sure because I'm kind of insulted at how expensive he is for basically just like, you know, I I don't really see a lot of difference in what type of guy you're playing as in this game. That is all that is all uh, stat like stat based. So, yeah, yeah, it's not. So it's kind of like the counselors and Friday a bit. Right. Yeah, it's it's all stats. The same exact thing, actually, where there's four say like. Yeah. There's four, like, specific stats. Yeah. And also, it's first person, so you're not going to see Arnold that much. But it is cool that his voice lines are in there, and it is cool that it's him as the same character from Predator 1, uh, because he's never really played that character ever again. It's super weird to think that he never, they've never made a Predator movie with Arnold in it again, even though that's what it started as. Right. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And I'm, I'm glad he's back now. Shit. Yeah, and I'm also glad they actually got Arnold because, like, uh, a, a recent example would be something like Mortal Kombat 11 has Terminator in it. Yeah, but it doesn't have... <sighs> and and it's an Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonator, even though it is Arnold Schwarzenegger's like. And I don't know why, because surely to God this Predator game has less budget attached to it. 
than Mortal Kombat 11? Uh, yeah, I would assume so. But be that as it may, this game got Arnold they get to, to probably... come in and record voice lines, and they're pretty good. I like his voice lines. Apparently, like, like... apparently that was on Arnold, where he uh, apparently he said that he wanted to do it again. Was he not as interested in playing the Terminator? Probably not. That's kind of funny. Considering so. he just got done doing Dark Fate, and he probably didn't have the best time. Well, t- to be honest, and you could certainly go listen to our uh, episode where we talk about Terminator Dark Fate. He isn't the best part about that movie, and it feels like they had to excuse a way to have him in the movie instead of have a natural way for him to be in the movie. And it, it didn't gel together in a nice way. I, I really didn't like it. <laughs> His character wasn't the most interesting part of that movie. Uh, oddly enough, the new characters were. Uh, so maybe that went hand in hand with him not really feeling like playing that version of the character anymore. Because it's also a different version than like the most iconic version of his Terminator characters. Yeah, like the, it's the one from like the same one or two. Yeah. So maybe getting to play Dutch again, he was like, yeah, that's fucking cool. I haven't done that since the 80s. Let's do it. Yeah, or maybe Corona so. played a part. He's at his house, so fuck it. <laughs> yeah, I could, uh, I could record a couple lines. Yeah, dude, yeah, sure. Let me act. Let me do something. <laughs> I'm just biking around this empty city making Twitter videos. You know. <laughs> He's been doing weird shit like that. I don't know if you've noticed. I have seen it. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I got quite a kick out of that shit. <laughs> You, you uh, but yeah, like I'm hoping. Uh, yeah, I like Arnold. I'm sure he's done some. He's done some stupid things, but every celebrity has. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he know, was a, he was a Republican governor, but then like also at the same time he was also like the first Republican governor that pushed for like like environmental environmental regulations to stop climate change. I feel like so like partially he only ran as a Republican so that he could run up. I, I, a lot of his policies don't line up with your typical Republican viewpoints. Right, not at all. Um, which is interesting. I think he just kind of took advantage of the fact that he's Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger, and then he got elected based off of it. Like, it's kind of the same, like, basic strategy as Donald Trump, where it's like you have a recognizable name, right. and you can run entirely based off of that, except, like, in a positive way. Maybe not a total net positive. Like, I'm not an expert on every single policy Arnold Schwarzenegger put into action as the governor of California. I'm sure not all of it was good, but some of it was positive. He could have done a lot worse (laughs) as far as celebrity political figures go. Yeah, I mean, he did good work uh, on environmental stuff. He's very, very progressive for the time on on that specific issue. Which is cool. That's, That's just dope. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Predator yeah. Hunting Grounds, good game. Uh, it's on sale right now on PlayStation. Yeah, I bought the deluxe edition in it, and I probably recommend not doing that. No, nah, um, it didn't come up. It didn't come with enough extra shit to make it worth it to me. Uh, you get like a blue camo skin that's PlayStation exclusive, and I think there's other ones depending on which platform you're playing it. There's always an exclusive camo. Um, I, I'm wearing it. I think it looks funny on my dude. 
uh, other than that, I don't care too much, though, um, about any of this stuff. I did get a free comic with it uh, digitally that I will read and see if it's any good. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. You got it. Why not? Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of comics, unless you have anything else to talk about, I could talk about a Friday the 13th comic. I read. Yeah, go for it, buddy. Uh, yeah, so I'm not I'm not doing anything crazy like uh, like back when we did Alien and Predator. I read every single instance of a crossover with DC Comics that the Aliens and Predators did, <laughs> and it was it was obnoxious, and I don't want to repeat that experience. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of just selected a grouping of Friday the Thirteenth comics that seemed interesting to me, and that is it. I'm not going to read every single Friday the 13th comic because a lot of them are horseshit and bad. And I'm sure even some of these that I'm going to read are horseshit and bad. But uh, (laughs) this week. Let me load it up here so I can. Yeah. Credit everybody. What did Genhart read? What did Genhart read? He picked up a comic and he read that shit. What did Genhart fucking read? You know that was that was that was, that was bad, <laughs> right? <laughs> Fair enough. So I read a one-shot comic. Some of these are going to be miniseries and such, but this is a one-issue experience called Friday the Thirteenth: Abuser and the Abused. This is written by a guy named Joshua Hale Fia, Fialkov. And the art is by a guy who only goes by the name Andy B. And I don't know what his last name is. Maybe put your last name on your work, guys, so I know. Uh, But anywho. His name's Andy B. Andy B. So I was attracted to this one to read first because I saw art from it. And the art is really classic in the sense that it looks like an old, like, horror comic. Okay. Like a, uh... Like a, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the names of any of them. Um, I guess like a Tales from the Crypt or like, a, you know, Creep Show is kind of like in that vein as well, where they. Uh, they're based on a comic. I don't know if Creep Show was actually a comic, but uh, it, it's based on those kind of stories like the EC comics era where they had these like, you know, kind of just like creepy morality tales that were like very very uh grim and it's stylized like those it's very classic comic looking uh the color palette is great i highly recommend looking at it just for the art the story is not as good so you have this main character who is a girl who is regularly abused and beaten by her boyfriend and She's like, well, this sucks. And she decides one day to uh, fuck this shit. I've had it. I have a boyfriend that beats me. The kids at school uh, berate me and make fun of me. Nobody helps me. Uh, My deadbeat dad and my shitty stepmom are mean to me. So she just snaps one day and she calls her boyfriend and says, hey, come pick me up. We're going to have a good time, baby. And then like, uh. He's like, hey, is your mom going to mind that you're going out late? And she's like, no. And it, it, like, the, like the panel shows that she killed her. She killed her step. <laughs> oh, boy. So so she's nutsy now. 
and her uh, plan here involves uh, driving out to uh, a little, little place called uh, Camp Crystal Lake. And uh, this is where she's going to go ahead and uh, start to pretend to have sex with him. Uh, you know, taking off her shirt and uh, letting him get close to grab her tits. And then she just stabs him full bore with a knife through the chest and starts beating the shit out of him and saying, fuck you. Holy and shit. Uh, just when she's about to have her complete and utter bloody revenge, guess who shows up? <laughs> It's your boy, Jason Voorhees. Oh, my God. And the image when he first shows up is fucking lit. Uh, I love how this dude draws Jason. He draws him as a very great, imposing figure. The art in this comic is clearly the reason to even look at it. Uh, So Jason starts trying to kill this guy. And she's kind of pissed about this. She's like, no. This is my dude to kill. And so they have like a fight, basically. Um, She's fighting Jason and stabbing him and trying to get him away from her. And it's just as much about the fact that she's pissed that he took her kill away from her as it is that she's trying to get away from Jason. Uh, So finally, she tries rationing, like. Rationing, uh, rationalizing. I should say, with Jason Voorhees. And she's like, look, we're one and the same, Jason. You were abused by people in your life, and now you're taking your revenge against the world. I'm doing the same. See, we're the same. And she, like, hugs him. And at first it seems like Jason isn't going to do anything, but then he raises his machete, and she's like, uh, she literally, she says, but we're the same. And then he cuts her head off and drags her into the river. At the end. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. So okay. I kind of dig it, even though it's like super basic of a storyline. And it's it's really cool uh, because like it's just like violence begets violence begets violence. Um, it's It doesn't have good morals. <laughs> I'll say that. Uh, but I do like how unflinching it is in its portrayal of Jason in the fact that like he doesn't really have mercy for anybody. No, um, at no point does he. You know, just because she was uh, beset by hardships uh, does not mean he will spare her. Uh, Jason doesn't really spare anyone, except maybe children, but that's debatable depending on which movie you're in, which I guess is something we'll talk about soon, actually. It is something soon, we'll talk about actually. soon, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, I don't know. I'd probably give this comic, like, a 7 out of 10, and most of those points are for the artwork. I'd recommend, like, if it was just the artwork, I'd say 10 out of 10. Yeah, but, but like, the, the story also is kind of like, hey, it's really basic. And I'm kind of anticipating a lot of these to be like that. Anyway, um, <laughs> the, the next couple I'm, I'm going to look at uh, next week, we're going we're gonna to read a little comic called Friday the 13th Bloodbath. Jeez. Which is a three-issue <laughs> miniseries. Uh, and I don't know if that one came out before or after Abuser and the Abuse, but uh, the, the timeline of Jason Comics is all over the place and has been published by everybody from Marvel to DC to Wildstorm to, I think, Dot Dynamite. Uh, like, you know, <laughs> the license is all over the place. Our boy Jason uh, much like the, own, the ownership... 
Yeah, much like the ownership of the, the franchise itself in recent years. Um, but anyway, if you want to talk about the movie, we're still in the Paramount years. And I guess uh, if you got anything else to talk about, no, let's we'll do it. Let's get right into it, man. Let's I think go. this is a good one, worthy of a lot of discussion, yeah, to be honest. Let's fucking uh, go, dude. Let's let's get right into this shit. I'm ready to get my hands dirty with this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, dude. So this is Friday the 13th, part six. Jason returns despite being killed again. <laughs> A.K.A. No, the real Jason lives. Yeah, uh, this was released in August of 1986. Uh, is 1983 going to be the only year in the 80s without a Friday the 13th movie? I'm not was sure. That the only year, was that the only year spared of this indignity? <laughs> it's definitely uh, possible. So uh, when we last left this franchise, uh, we had Friday the 13th 5, which is not, near, not, not nearly as good as this, this one. <laughs> but um, it had been a success financially. But uh, the reviews of Friday Five were uh, pretty harsh from critics and fans alike, which was not common for this franchise. Usually it was just like critics said bad, fans said, yay, kill them, ooh. <laughs> uh, but for this one, they were like, That's, that was stupid. So now they were like, well, maybe we should write the ship of this franchise. So the producers decide to bring back Jason, uh, resurrecting him to his rightful place as the main antagonist of the series. Uh, I, I don't think you should make a Friday movie without Jason. Yeah. Really, they really they didn't, because they still had, like, wannabe cosplay Jason. But... And still functioned pretty much exactly like Jason <laughs> until the very end. It was like a terrible cop anyway. Yeah, instead of having cool stuff where it's like, oh no, he's still alive, it was lame because it was like, oh, it was just that guy that, wait, who was that? <laughs> so, Tom McLaughlin was hired to write and direct the film. Uh, this this time, he was actually both. Um, after the success of his film, One Dark Night, uh, McLaughlin was given mostly free reign in making the film. Uh, the only stipulation being he must bring back Jason as the villain. Uh, so he took inspiration from classic universal horror films. Uh, he sought to make Jason a supernatural force. So Jason is brought back by lightning, like Frankenstein. And he has a weakness of being returned to his home soil, like a vampire. Uh, in addition to this, Tom also sought to expand the scope of the series beyond horror. Uh, he introduced action elements in this movie, uh, as well as a fair bit of actual intentional humor. Uh, a yeah. lot of it very meta, and that was pretty new for the time. Um, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> it was a good move. It's a good move for it to kind of like parody itself. Um, now, Tom also decided to retcon the ending from part five, uh, making Tommy Jarvis a more heroic character and not a potential serial killer like the ending of part five suggested he was going to be. Uh, now this discrepancy in the canon uh, would not be explained until uh, many, many, many years later in Friday the 13th, the game <laughs> in its interview tapes, 
there's there's two types. There's the Pamela and the Tommy Jarvis ones. One of the Tommy ones, Tommy talks about uh, having a nightmare, and he describes the ending of. So the official explanation is that was a nightmare from Tommy, which I think you put together last time anyway. That's what yeah. you were saying anyway. Yeah, that, that's what I kind uh, of viewed it as. Yeah. So uh, the retconning in the ending caused the contracts of actors who played characters in Part Five uh, to be terminated. Um, the only cast member from Five producers tried to get to come back was John Shepard, who played Tommy Jarvis. Uh, but John wasn't keen to come back after the uh, admittedly bad experience filming Part Five. Uh, not to mention, uh, he felt morally at odds with the Friday the Thirteenth series since he was an evangelical Christian. Uh, so Tommy was recast again, and uh, I think John Shepard quit acting and became a fucking like priest or some shit. Dead ass. That's a real thing. <laughs> um, Sweet but anyway, God. literally. <laughs> so uh, we could basically get into the plot here. Let me see here. I guess I should mention that this was filmed uh, not in California. Not in New Jersey, but in Georgia. Uh, this is filmed in Covington, which is a little bit of a way, a little bit, just a little bit away from Atlanta. Uh, standing in for Camp Crystal Lake, I mean Lake Forest Green, is Camp Daniel Morgan, which is still operating in Georgia, uh, much like um, uh, Camp Nobi Bosco. Uh, that 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 was the camp in part one. Um, I, initially, I thought that they were still using the camp from movie one for this movie, and I was like, "Oh, cool, they're using the same sets." But then, like it as the movie continued, I was like, "No, nah, this shit looks different." I I, I don't think they did, um, and that was not the case. I don't know if any of them ever actually went back to a location from a previous movie, um, besides part four, which filmed a bit of it at the location from part three that was still standing. I guess we'll see as the series continues. Yeah, we'll find out. Um, I think it's also noteworthy to note before we start that, uh, (laughs) the studio forced McLaughlin to add more kills and gore, uh, which is pretty obvious because there's a couple extraneous scenes that are similar to stuff from five. They're done way better for sure. But a couple extraneous scenes where, like, random people get killed that don't have anything to do with the plot. But they're done really well, and some of them are my favorite bits in the movie entirely, even though they're completely, like, just throwaway filler scenes. Yeah, Um, Originally, the film had 13 kills as a joke, (laughs) but then the producers forced them to add uh, more. also, this is probably the first. This is the first. Actually, no, I, I did look this up. Um, we haven't watched all the Friday movies yet, but this is the only one of all twelve to not have any nudity in it, uh, which is strange. Um, that literally every other one does. I, I don't know. It's it's a standard trope of the genre. There's still a sex scene in this one, but yeah, there's just but no nudity yeah, this time. No- no titty, no obligatory. Like honestly, titty. if you cut out a couple things, this movie probably could have been like PG thirteen in the eighties. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if PG thirteen existed yet. Uh, what, what year? Uh, no, I probably did. 
I thought it existed. Like, I'm like, I thought it was like the mid '80s. Oh, well, let's let's see yeah, real quick. Just it's, out of curiosity, it's whenever Temple of Doom came out, right? I think yeah. that was '84. So it should have existed by now. But I know they yeah, weren't regularly using it. They weren't using it as often as they do now. Like now, it's the most standard rating assigned to a film. I'm pretty sure is <laughs> PG-13. Like if they cut out a bit of the gore, which I'm glad they didn't because it's still fun. Um, it probably could have been. And I wouldn't have hated it for it. Like, I'm sure there would have been some fans that hated on it for being like the tamer movie in the series. But I, I think this one works as more of an all audiences movie than any of the other ones. Like, I'm not saying you should sit down and watch this with grandma, but like it works better for audiences that don't care for these kind of movies than probably literally any other movie in the entire franchise. I think this is the most watchable one in general. Yeah, I don't know. It's... <laughs> so, uh, well, what happened in the movie? Yeah, so... Go ahead. We get, we get a big kick. We get a, as usual, we get a cold open. Except this time, it is very Just the best one in the fucking series so far. Oh my god. Absolutely. This is amazing. This is an actual open to, like, the movie. Yeah, not, like, no not flashbacks, like a, not dude. Not a dream sequence, not a flashback. It actually is a literal cold open to open the fucking film. So, mm-hmm. we have, right away, we got Tommy Jarvis and his friend Alan driving in a truck. Yeah. They get to get a nice shot mm-hmm. of the, the Jason mask that they somehow acquired. Ah, Tommy just has it. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, this is Thom Matthews as our third Tommy Jarvis here. Um, so Matthews appeared in Return of the Living Dead the previous year as uh, the dumbass new hire Freddy. Uh, weirdly associated with Friday the 13th Return of the Living Dead because, like, there was two characters from it that were in Part 5. And now another character from it comes to be the star of Part 6. Uh, Thom is... I, I would say probably the definitive version of Tommy. Like, this I know we had Corey Feldman play him, but, like, that was a little kid, Corey Feldman. I think this is the definitive version of the character. I knew I knew about him as Tommy Jarvis, like, in this movie before I ever even watched this movie. This is my first time seeing it. Yeah. Well, that's because uh, we see him in the game all the time. Um, and, yeah, they used his likeness. And, and Thom Matthews came back to do the voice as Tommy for Friday the 13th, the game. Yeah, and he's, and, a, he's a great character. I, it's, it's well done. Yeah, I, I dig him as, you know, like, the primary antagonist to Jason, even though we're not going to see him again after this point, which is sad, um, apparently. Uh, I don't know if he shows up in the remake or anything, but he is, he's not in Part 7. I would have liked it if he was. I would have liked it if he was continued to be the, like, the Van Helsing character you know what i mean yeah. like <laughs> uh i feel like that i always associate a franchise with like one primary survivor character and, and for this is probably tommy for nightmare it's probably nancy but like they're also not in every single movie yeah. because you know it's how it is <laughs> They just go and uh, his too long, long standing to go too many places. Yeah. And his friend here, 
is played by Ron Palillo. Uh, he's most famous for playing Arnold on Welcome Back, Cotter, which I'm not familiar with that show, but whatever. Anyway, <laughs> what are we doing out here in the dock in the middle of the night? So they are grave robbing. Uh, yeah. They are going after <laughs> Jason's grave. They just, it, uh, it's kind of implied that they just got out of a mental hospital. The both of them. Yeah, um... I wouldn't say this movie entirely retcons part five, but definitely Tommy seems like a very different character. Um, but there's little nods to it. Um, Tommy's truck is actually uh, the final girl's truck from part five. And these brief men- mentions of a mental institution. Yeah. Kind of lead me to believe that like. Tommy was probably after the events of five, just put in another mental institution. Yeah, that's not and, what uh, Tommy's getting out, I guess. And fuck it. I don't know. So right away, it's his boy here. Uh, has doesn't want anything to do with this, but he's kind of been dragged into it. And Tommy starts yeah. digging. <laughs> and so he's like, oh, well, fuck it, I guess. Just keeps going with him. He's, he's, he's like, this spooked. seems like a bad idea, Tommy. And Tommy's like, I gotta be sure. I gotta kill Jason, even though he's already dead. <laughs> Tommy's pretty intense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they so they dig up they dig up his coffin. Mm-hmm. They, they they Tommy peels that shit open. It's gross. There's maggots Maggot everywhere. Boy. Wormy Jason down there. His <laughs> friends getting sick just looking at it. It's yeah. truly disgusting. Like a decomposing corpse. Mm-hmm. The Tommy's like fuck it, runs over and grabs a fence post and stabs the corpse. Yeah, he's just like fuck you, Jason. Just continuously stabbing him. Uh, I think they even play the uh, the, the Corey Feldman die. They do like overdubbed. Um, but for the first time, a reference to the old movies uh, feels like an intentional bit of the film. Uh, <laughs> Like, cause usually they just play a big ass clip show before these movies, and I, I'm glad they didn't hear. But I am glad that they had that callback because it is important to Tommy's yeah. character. They have a level of actual continuity between four, five, and six here. Yeah. By the way, the fucking score during this part—oh my god—is fucking incredible. And but it sounded like weirdly familiar to me, and that's because uh, Harry Manfredini was using the Latin hymn. Uh, Dies Irae, or I don't know how to pronounce Latin shit. But anyway, that is the fucking hymn that was also utilized for the score for The Shining. So it sounds like the score to The Shining. The fucking boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Um, it's fucking cool. <laughs> I support it. It's, it's, it's it sounds fucking awesome, dude. The oh, soundtrack man. goes off in this one. Uh, I mean, they're all good. Manfredini knocks it out of the park every single time, but I think this one has possibly the best score of all six. It's uh, my favorite just because so of this far. opening. Yeah, not to mention the the songs that show up in it that I like that we'll get to in a bit. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. By the way, uh, so Jason's headstone here uh, is a prop that Tom McLaughlin uh, took home. Uh, he took home a couple props here. He took home the casket as well. So he leaves the casket in his garage, and he actually put the headstone for Jason Voorhees in his front yard. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I guess, um, I think somebody like came to the house to do some work, 
and didn't want to set foot on the, the grounds because they actually thought a body was buried in his front yard one time. He was like, oh, no. Jason Voorhees isn't actually buried here, dude. It's I just, like, <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> As he winks. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, anyway, it's time for the improbable resurrection that I entirely support. Yeah, I've heard some people decry this as stupid. Yeah, of course. I say I praise it as stupid. Right. That's, 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 that's definitely the angle I come down on. So Tommy leaves the fence post stabbed into Jason's body. And then he goes yeah. over after throwing the mask and saying, fuck you, Jason. He uh, grabs a <laughs> he grabs a gas can and he plans on lighting this bitch on fire. Yeah, he's going to completely desecrate the corpse, which yeah. was supposedly cremated anyway. But apparently it wasn't. Nope. Oh. <laughs> and so he's gonna. So they're in the middle of a storm, by the way, while they're doing this, and then yeah, it's a literal dark and stormy night. This is a dark and stormy night at a graveyard. You couldn't get more classic horror than this, right? And then a bolt of lightning strikes the fence post. It mm-hmm. shocks Jason's body back to life. Yeah. <laughs> And his eye opens up, and he is back. I love how, like, you just get, like, this this sense of ferocity in his eyes. Like, through the entire film. Every close-up on his eyes. It's just, yeah. Like, he's fucking Yeah, dude, it's pissed. good shit. Uh, like I'm gonna hold off angry. to talk about who plays Jason until we get to the paintball scene. Because um, there's a reason that I'll get to. Okay. But, um, love this Jason. Is what I'll say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, love how he acts. He's my favorite Jason so far. Um, easily. I think I think up to this point, it was maybe part four was my favorite. But this this tops it in a lot of ways. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, Jason, like, just like Frankenstein, with a single bolt of lightning, here's Jason back to life. <laughs> Yep, and Tommy. Uh, he, Tommy goes climbing to grave to pull the fence post out, and then Jason grabs him and tries pulling and, him into the grave yeah. with him. Tommy probably has a uh, bad moment. <laughs> He's like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, he kicks Jason back, trying to get the gas, trying to light him up. And Jason makes his yeah. way out of the grave, kills his friend. Yeah, punches a hole. Uh, in throws the him. Yeah, throws him in the grave. By the way. Yeah, just fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Tommy tries to light like douse Jason in gas to light him on fire but then it starts raining really hard and it puts the match out <laughs> yeah and it keeps happening by the way and Jason's just staring at him like like with comedic timing by the way <laughs> yeah and then just like and like maggots are just like by the way I off of his love face. oh my god I love how gross he looks without the mask in this movie he's like literally a giant lumbering monstrous zombie. I'd love it. <laughs> like a lot of the times when he didn't have his mask on, he kind of looked um like a like a like well, part two he just looked like a hillbilly guy with a little bit of a deformity. And then part three he looked like some kind of like the hills have eyes kind of dude. <laughs> you know? Um I don't know if his mask ever fell off in part four. No. But anyway. I love this look a lot more. He was always deformed, but now he's like literally a zombie man. Right. And so he, uh, yeah. 
So after uh, after uh, after his friend gets a hole punched in his chest and thrown into a coffin, um, which right right away shows you just like the supernatural force that Jason is in this movie. It's a great way to establish it right off the bat. He he got a bit of a power up, a level up in this one. Yeah, yeah. He is just he is just an unstoppable angry force. As the game points out, he 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 gained a lot of supernatural abilities, but he lost the ability to run. Uh, <laughs> can't run no more. Yep. Has to only slowly walk. And Jason picks up the mask. He's back in his iconic look. Grabs the spear. He's back. The man behind the mask. Yeah. And sweet God, the funniest title card. Oh my in God! This entire series happens. It's the it's, greatest fucking thing. It zooms in super close on his angry eye, and mm-hmm. then. And then inside of his pupil, a black a black circle comes up, and James Bond style, Jason walks to the center of the of the black circle and throws a knife at at the fucking screen, as he slices the screen, a bunch mm-hmm. of blood comes up, and then just the text of Jason lives. Yeah, and the title of the movie. Hilarious you know. fun. If you're not familiar, that's the typical James Bond. You know, and he shoots the camera thing uh but it's jason instead <laughs> it's so fucking funny which is i think it perfectly sets the tone for what this movie is going to be yeah it it's it's not gonna not take itself seriously at times but it is going to be a lot more farcical than it was before <laughs> and yeah boy is it great for that so after our title card, Tommy Jarvis rushes to the local police department. Mm-hmm. And he runs into the police chief. Yes. This is David Kagan as Sheriff Michael Garris, the dumbass cop here, dead set on not believing Tommy. Uh, we get the sense that Camp Crystal Lake uh, is trying to move on from this camp blood nonsense you know uh they've even renamed the entire locality uh from camp crystal lake to uh lake forest green uh to get away from the name crystal lake at all and this this cop's having none of this shit he's like this is like there's a lot of suggestion that the entire existence of Jason has been just reduced to like legend. Yeah. We're yeah. like cryptozoologist standpoint. <laughs> like right. Jason's like Bigfoot now. Like <laughs> some people claim they saw him one time, but it's just a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mr. Deputy here is, well, Mr. Sorry, Mr. Chief here is not having it or immediately threatens. When Tommy says Jason's alive, immediately he threatens to blow his, blow his fucking brains out. Yeah. Uh, then, I'm okay with how bad the cops are in this. It's very realistic. <laughs> yeah, they, they're dickheads. These are ineffective dickhead cops who are not effective at all when it comes right down to it. Um, for the perfect film to watch in our trying to... <laughs> <laughs> Voorhees said A cab, dude. But anyway, <laughs> um, 
I, I think a gaggle of teenagers shows up after this guy throws Tommy in the fucking jail cell. Yeah, Tommy tries to grab a shotgun. They're like, all right, that's it. Block him up and they yeah, go to jail. Well, that was probably a bad move to try to steal a shotgun from a police station, Tommy, but I understand why he did it. <laughs> so they throw him in the slammer, and uh, it's, it's all the camp counselors, right? Yeah. So. Just to clarify, everybody, we got Jennifer Cook as Megan, who is uh, thirsty for Tommy (laughs) the whole movie. Um, So uh, our our boy, uh, Frank Mancuso Jr., who's been producing this entire series, uh, his only real request when he came down to casting was that the final girl be a very attractive that was all he said. Uh, so McLaughlin cast Cook. Uh, she was somewhat well known before the film for starring in the sci-fi show V. Uh, but after Friday Six, she retired from acting. So this is really all that she's really known for. Um, she does an okay job. No, I like her fine. character. She's fine. Um, a lot more bubbly of a personality than we usually get for a final girl. Usually they're um, a little bit more reserved. Than this, but really, Tommy's like the main character anyway. Tommy's the final girl. <laughs> but anyway, uh, who else is here? Uh, Carrie Noonan as Paula, uh, the one counselor. She's the one who tries to comfort the little girl later. Uh, Renee Jones as Sissy, the one who is obsessed with boys. And, and um, Tom Fridley as Court. Uh, the dumbass, uh, Tom Fridley. Uh, I, I I thought I recognized him this whole movie, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I looked it up, and he really hasn't been in anything else. So I was even more confused. And then I found out he is dead ass John Travolta's nephew. And I was like, "That's oh, it." Oh yeah, there you go. That <laughs> makes so Travolta. much sense. Holy it shit. also explains a lot because yeah. <laughs> he he, he kind of acts like a bit of a, like a dumbass Travolta guy. Uh, he's he's uh, he's your typical uh, dumbass early like half hour in victim. Uh, a great one too. Um, alongside him, we also have Darcy Demoss as Nikki. You may remember that name because I've talked about her in the previous two episodes because she was. She was in part four in the slow twerk aerobicize video. Yep. And then she was set to be cast in part five, but refused to be nude. And so was fired by creepy porno man who was directing part five. But this time around, she was asked to appear nude by Tom McLaughlin on the producer's request. And she said no. And Tom McLaughlin was like, OK, because he didn't really care anyway. Right, <laughs> and then they filmed the sex scene with uh, both characters' clothes. But later, uh, I, I don't think it really changed much. <laughs> it's no. like, who cares? Um, I appreciate Tom McLaughlin for being probably quite possibly the chillest, nicest director in the entire franchise so far, because a lot of them have uh, at least sounded skeevy and maybe like bad at their jobs in terms of safety <laughs> and in terms of actually doing their job in some cases. Right. This, this guy at least had a passion and a vision, if you will, 
if you'll if you'll allow me to use such big terms for Friday the Thirteenth movie, but um, he he genuinely seemed like he gave a shit, and he wasn't out to like just exploit his actors. So, so good on him for not forcing her to appear nude or firing her for not doing so. Right. <laughs> Hooray. Um. So anyway. All our kids are here. Yeah, all the counselors are there because uh, a couple of their friends have gone missing, which reminds me that there is a kill, a couple kills in between these two scenes. Oh, yeah, it cut. Yeah, I, I realize this isn't one whole scene. It cut back to this is a great scene. Uh, we have a young couple. Who I think are like supposed to be like the overseeing counselors of the camp. Yeah, they're like supposed to be the heads of the camp. Yeah, so these two are Nancy McLaughlin as Lisbeth. And yes, I said McLaughlin. Uh, that is Tom McLaughlin's wife in a cameo here. And this is Tony Goldwyn as Darren, uh, Lisbeth's dumbass husband. Uh, Goldwyn actually has a pretty nice career, unlike most Friday stars, especially considering he's in this so briefly. Um, he's appeared in Ghost, Nixon, The Last Samurai. Uh, he was in the TV show Scandal as the fucking president of the United States. Uh, and he's the voice of Disney's Tarzan. Uh, weird. But anyway, uh, this little scene reminds me of like something like right out of Scream. Yeah. Because it's like sh- this this woman is like a little too self-aware that she's in a horror movie. It's really funny. And... In a lot of ways, this movie kind of like inspired and set the groundwork for something like Scream to exist. Uh, because it it has to be one of the first slasher films to like poke fun at its own mythos yeah. and its own like genre to the point where like characters are pointing out shit <laughs> like from the genre. Like she like they see Jason, right? And she's like, I'm not getting out and talking like we gotta go now like this is not you don't drive towards the killer serious dark night like Like, what is this like we're not dying in a horror movie scenario here fuck off (laughs) yeah so they but her but her husband is not as smart (laughs) he's like oh i got a gun in the glove box we're gonna get him you pull right on back up she's like okay well first they they try to scare him yeah. <laughs> right. And he drives the car forward and Jason just doesn't move. And she's like, wow, you sure scared him. <laughs> that sure scared him. <laughs> and then he tries to threaten him with the gun, but he doesn't. He doesn't succeed. Yeah, Jason doesn't give a fuck. It just kills him. Yeah. He's got and, and then he. Then he gets her because she like falls yeah. in the mud. Falls to the butt and then tries to offer him money and then he disappears. And you get a really cool shot from like her POV where he appears above <laughs> her and then stabs her. In yeah. The head. I guess in reality he just walked around while she was not looking at him and blubbering. Right. But I like to think he uh, hit R one and square. then square. Right. <laughs> Did the shift. Uh. <laughs> fun gameplay mechanic to explain how Jason can just, like, appear out of nowhere. So funny. Um, yeah. Let me get some, uh, she dies. This is a good product placement here. We got an American Express card floating oh, in the water. So this was put in at the time 
I, I think it was like the commercials for this was like, don't leave home without it for that credit card brand. Oh, God. And so, like, they intentionally put this in as like the audience would laugh and in the theater say, don't leave home without it. At least that was their hope. I'm sure it happened because it is pretty yeah. funny. In the mid 80s, I'm sure <laughs> that happened. It was it was a funny isolated shot of this credit card in, in the mud, <laughs> and then I think we go back to the police station, right? And, now, and introduce and all our dumbass kids. I think. Yeah. And then Tommy's sitting in a cell. And he's like, "You got to get out of here. Jason's here." Yeah, and then like the kids seem like interested a little bit, but then the cop is like, "Fuck off!" And then, and then just the main girl seems like, "Ooh." This prisoner is hot. <laughs> For whatever reason, they have like a little exchange of glances. <laughs> yep. And they get in a police chief's like, I'm a half of this shit. Kicks, kicks the kids out and is like, I'm taking you out of here. We're dropping you off at the end of the district and I'm never going to see you again. Man. Thomas oh, we also learn that the, the main girl is the daughter of this police chief guy. I think that's important to note. Yep. And please, she grabs a shotgun and everybody wants him out, out. And then we yeah. get a, a, a funny little scene cuts to the, uh, to the, to the uh, gravekeeper. I love this guy. I love him. Hey, he's one of my favorite to, characters in this whole franchise. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, nobody's going to find this out. And he, like, just starts shoveling the grave back. <laughs> he's like, I ain't, I ain't <laughs> getting found out and losing my job over some grave digging assholes and digging then, up four he's and then he straights up breaks the fourth wall looks at you yes and says some folks have a strange idea of entertainment and then he's putting it's the so good the oh it's so fucking it's so funny good. this is bob larkin as martin the drunk grave digger um bob larkin uh not really in much else but in, in this he's perfect he's the perfect drunk old man it's great um I, i'll bring this up i'll talk about it later but uh he he wasn't supposed to originally die he's gonna die in a little bit here spoiler but um he wasn't originally supposed to he was supposed to show up in the ending uh and there's a deleted ending for this that i'll get to when we get to the end oh, that's just fun. remind me please uh i'll probably remind myself i got it in my notes here it's some interesting shit i wish they kept it in so the kids show up to camp forest green Mm-hmm. Start putting their shit away. <laughs> yeah. Um they meet the kid. Yeah, so so we up the stakes here in this one, and this is a complaint I had about part one that they finally go back around and fix, which is they open the camp and the stakes are raised because we know Jason is coming, and yet there is an entire school bus full of kids here now. Yeah. And and that's good. That's great. The camp is the camp being open is so much better because we actually see this camp exist as a camp. We see the counselors behave as counselors for once and not just like horny teens on a vacation right. because they just might as well be movies, you know, because there's no there's no kids. It's not an operating summer camp. But now for once it is. And I think that makes it much more effective in all of these scenes where, like, these kids are the, like these. You don't want to see the kids get hurt, you know? Right. An easy way to make you 
uh, have tension, I suppose, but yeah. it's effective. And there's a good comedic timing joke in here, too, because uh, yes. our main girl here starts like, talking about the legend of Jason, like, oh, what if he's really here to kill us and exact revenge? Mm-hmm. Like, I can only think of one thing that's worse than that. And then she points over to the school window. School bus of kids show up. Yeah, the school yeah. bus of kids shows up. It's like, ah, yeah. Shout out to the, the teacher character who, like, says, well, they're yours now. And then the bus <laughs> drops away. Oh, it's so fucking funny. <laughs> and then, like, we get, like, a brief, like, couple scenes where, like, they're they're uh, entertaining the kids. So, like, um, <laughs> the dumbass Travolta kid is with the boys and he's just telling them bullshit that's not true. Right. about like the native americans it's like probably like you know offensive but it's on purpose because this is a dumbass kid and the kids can see through shit and they're like this could be a long long week yeah <laughs> i like those two boys that like yeah they're snarky are, like, kids the, the comic relief snarky kids uh they show up later and then the the girl is like uh leading it uh what are we gonna do scare the boys and like all like you know some kind of like chant with all the girls at some point we cut from this to one of the best scenes in the movie yeah so we have some with, some dudes on a what seems like a paintball match yeah a paintball match between some fucking weekend warrior office drone pieces of shit yeah <laughs> and Oh man! All right, so so like, who do we got here? Um, there's a couple people here. Uh, our two main guys here are Alan Blumfeld as Larry and Matthew Faison as Stan. Uh, Larry's the more chill, heavy set paintballer guy, and then Stan's the more angry paintballer who wants to win at any cost. <laughs> and like, Larry's like, I don't like how you get when we go paintballing, man. Like, you're always so intense. It plays out. <laughs> I love this scene because it plays out like a weird non sequitur scene in like a play. It's so fucking funny. Yeah. Um, it also <laughs> feels like a comedy scene in any other movie, but then just Jason shows up and kills everybody involved. Right. And it's kind of great. <laughs> uh, so, like, they're like bitching about it, and then they get paintballed by. Um, uh, what's her name? Courtney Vickery as Nancy. Oh no, I'm sorry, that's wrong. Yeah, I I love the, I love the jokes in this scene because uh, they're walking around talking. The the heavy set guy. Yeah. Like, I want to get out of here and get a sandwich. And he's like, all you think about is food. We're at war. <laughs> war is a man's game that takes so a I man's intelligence. Sorry, it's Anne Ryerson as Katie. This is the woman who shoots Larry. And yeah, and then she pops out of the bushes and shoots them both. It's like, haha, fuck you, yeah. sexist bitch. Quote unquote, killing them. Yeah, and they're like really upset. So, like, to indicate that they have been taken out of the game of pinball, she gives them these headbands, and it says like "dead" a bunch of times around it. These like bandanas, <laughs> and. It's it's super funny that they're wearing these things, marking them as dead when you know what's about to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking it's great comedy. Um, speaking of which, we cut to a super intense, angry man. Uh, do I have him? Yeah, Wallace Merck as Bert. He's the very, very angry pinball loser. 
uh, he's super pissed. He's like, fucking woman. <laughs> beat me pinball. She's not even supposed to be here. And he's just like cutting down shit with his machete all pissed off or whatever. And then Jason shows up. And yeah, he's like, it's not a can, game. Can, it's a life. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you walk me through this Jason kill here? Because it is insane. <laughs> He grabs- uh, when this happened, I had to pause my fucking movie and rewind it to make sure I wasn't like hallucinating what happened here, because it, it it really didn't compute in my brain. <laughs> so as this dude's hacking away with the machete, mm-hmm. Jason strolls on up, and grabs him, grabs grabs him by the hand, and throws him off to the side into a tree. And I I don't know what if this is really hard to explain, but there's a happy face in the tree. I think it was like carved yeah. in there beforehand, I guess. Oh no, Justin. No, that's the dude's face imprinted on this tree. Nah. It's bloody. Dude, come on, nah. He I know it's not realistic, but it's it's implying that the dude getting smashed in the tree left the happy face imprint it's farcical (laughs) this is like a this is like a fucking airplane or like blazing saddles moment yeah and and nothing else in the movie is quite like this so it stands out a lot (laughs) it's it's cartoonish that he would leave a face print in the shape of a fucking have a nice day smiley face (laughs) but it is incredible, and I appreciate it. <laughs> and, then, and then you find out through flinging him, Jason just ripped the dude's arm off. Yeah. It just kind of gives it a look like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking gold. Yeah. So, I, I, he kills the other people here as well. Uh, but most prominently is this other character who is uh, still um, dead set on winning this game. Of paintball. Man, there's so many characters in this movie. I'm actually like lost in my cast. Uh, here we are. Whitney Ridbeck as Roy. Uh, this dude looks like Bubbles from Trailer Park Boys. Maybe it's just the goggles. Uh, and he, he, he sees Jason and he shoots him with the paintball. That's nothing. And, and no, of course not. Jason just looks at it and he's, he's kind of just like a what the fuck. It's really good comedic timing. <laughs> and then he goes and kills the guy. Because, of course. And he kills the other three that we were talking about as well. Uh, all at once. Yeah, one machete slash. Remember takes that? All three yeah. of their heads off. <laughs> what the <laughs> It's just so ridiculous. Fuck it, you know. So I got to talk about who played Jason in this movie. And I waited until now. Uh, for a reason. So this is Dan Bradley as Jason Voorhees okay. in the paintball scene only. Okay. Uh, he plays Jason in this scene only. So Bradley is a stunt coordinator and second unit director, actually. He's he's worked on many super famous films. He's, he's worked second unit and stunts on... Uh, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3, uh, Indiana Jones and the fucking Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, 
Uh, he's had quite a career, but for this movie, Tom McLaughlin disliked Bradley's performance as Jason, or at least his look as Jason. Uh, and so did Paramount. They weren't overly impressed. Uh, but this was the first day of shooting was this paintball scene. So it was done. They left it in, uh, hoping nobody would notice. I, I think they did a good job because I didn't really notice that it was a different Jason necessarily. Um, but a lot of uh, hardcore fans kind of like to poke fun. Uh, I think in a mean-spirited way. Uh, like, literally, this Jason in this paintball scene only, uh, they kind of make fun of the fact that um, Bradley is a bit huskier than uh, the actor who plays him for the rest of the time. Uh, and and some have even taken to calling him Bitch Tits Jason. Uh which I think is rude. <laughs> um, but anyway, I think he did an okay job, but I, I can't really argue with the results uh, because the performance of Jason throughout the rest of the movie is pretty fantastic and menacing and has an imposing presence. So this is CJ Graham as Jason in every other scene. Uh, so it's interesting Graham was a local restaurant manager, uh, not an actor, okay. uh, not a stuntman either. Uh, so, um, so as part of a stage show put on by his restaurant, uh, he played Jason Voorhees. They would have this little show where a magician would hypnotize members of the audience, and then he, the they would, the magician would like put them in this scenario where, like, you know, you are at Camp Crystal Lake with Jason Voorhees, and then like he would actually show up would be like the gag i assume okay um so this dude is fucking six foot three 250 pounds x like i think marine uh he's a big imposing man so when he's wearing the jason outfit everybody's like oh fuck that's him dude (laughs) um so special effects supervisor uh martin becker for this movie uh sees this show like it was actually local in georgia were filming or at least in pre-production and uh he was impressed by graham's imposing presence and performance as jason so he recommended him straight up to mclaughlin and mclaughlin liked him a lot and cast him as jason for real in the movie (laughs) um so what a success story there dude uh just out of nowhere hey do you want to be jason (laughs) Um, Grams has said he loved experience playing Jason, but after his big breakout role here, he has only appeared in one film since. And that was a movie that I kind of want to watch now because it sounds terrible, but interesting called Highway to Hell. And he plays a character uh, with a lot of makeup on like that is some sort of demon uh, known as Sergeant Bedlam, the hell cop. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Hell cop. Yeah, dude. Like, I think there's, like, some people escaped from hell in that movie, and there's literally hell cops trying to get come back to hell. Sweet I think. Lord, what is that? I, I'm pretty interested in this movie. <laughs> I need to look up more. So anyway, uh, Graham was offered the role of Jason once more way later for Freddy versus Jason, actually. But... Uh, Graham declined, and this is because he was friendly with Kane Hodder, 
who we're going to first see as Jason next week in part seven. And Kane Hodder is noteworthy as basically the most famous person to play Jason because he played him in part seven and part eight and part nine and Jason X. So he's like the only actor to portray him that much out of like, cause usually it's like a different guy every fucking time for whatever reason. So Hodder wasn't considered for the role of Jason in Freddy versus Jason. And the producers were kind of being like low key shitty about it. Like they wanted something different. And they said that like Hodder was too short, uh, at least in comparison to Freddy. Like they wanted him to be as fucking Robert England. And, uh, Graham wasn't having that. He was like, I'm not taking the role from Kane Hodder because, like, you know, just from, like, being at, I assume, like, similar circles and horror conventions and stuff, like, they both played Jason. They kind of got friendly and they became friends or at least acquaintances. And he was like, I'm not doing that to Kane. I'm not taking the role from him. And and eventually he went to somebody else. And we'll get into that and see how that turns out when we watch Freddy versus Jason. But anyway, he seems like a cool dude. Um, and I'm glad for him because what a weird chance, like like what a shot in the dark chance to be in a big giant movie (laughs) just because some random dude working on it saw your fucking weird restaurant show where you're Jason and was like, I'd be good. Yeah, you could be Jason. (laughs) (laughs) That's wild. That's like if they, that's like if they hired spider, like hired one of those, like, uh, New York street performers to be Spider-Man. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, hey, you want to be Spider-Man? <laughs> you want to be Spider-Man for real, though? <laughs> so, uh, I think we're done with the paintball scene. What happens next? So now, the, uh, the, the cops are escorting Tommy Jarvis out of the jurisdiction. But Tommy has a different yeah. idea. And veers them off towards the cemetery, and the cops give chase. Yeah, and they're like, son of a bitch. (laughs) Yep. I think Tommy's idea is to show them the grave so that they will have no choice but to look into this matter. Uh, But his strategy doesn't work really well, because as we know, the grave digger reburied the grave. And also... Tommy's friend in the process unknowingly <laughs> and, uh, and the cops are like the grave isn't even dug up Tommy you're crazy we're taking you back to the station we're throwing you in jail and of course they run into the grave digger and he's like oh uh, uh, no no it's it's been like that as far as I know <laughs> <laughs> fucking dick yeah yeah then he's, he's screaming at Martin, of course, burned the gravekeeper, of course, denies this. Denies that he covered well, yeah, it up at course. all. And then Tommy's yeah. screaming out of you bastard as he gets carried away. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we go to nighttime now. Or night uh, sort of. Yeah. There might yeah. be a couple more scenes at the camp, but I don't really remember. No, nah, no, nah, this is they 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 get Tommy out. Yeah. And then they, he threatens him again, says, don't you dare come back. Mm-hmm. He drives away and Tommy's pissed. Yeah, now it's nighttime. Yeah. Oh, they don't arrest Tommy again? No, they handcuff him, but then they just escort him out of town. 
They don't arrest right, him until okay. later. All right. Um, That's right. I misremembered him slightly. And now we have our gravekeeper. Yeah. Drunk and wandering around. At the same time, we got two kids. Uh, quote unquote kids. Right, they Everybody's look. old in this movie. Uh, yeah, as usual. <laughs> this is uh, who are who are these characters? Uh, Roger Rose as Stephen and uh, Cynthia Kania as Annette. Uh, but both these guys are trying to bone at a midnight picnic? Question mark. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on here. Um, I do want to point out that Roger Rose here has appeared in basically every cartoon and video game ever. Uh, he is primarily a voice actor, but never like a prominent, like major character. He's always like background voices. Okay. And he is the voice of Russian soldiers in Metal Gear Solid two and Metal Gear Solid five. Okay. <laughs> I will always reference anyone who ends up being in a Metal Gear game. <laughs> it's my duty as a fan of that franchise, <laughs> but, um, this scene is pretty funny. Um, so yeah, all of these kills here in this nighttime scene are added by the studio's request uh, to have more kills. Um, they were not part of the original script. Uh, I think they end up pretty good for being tacked on. <laughs> uh, it's just a couple more victims to have. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's a uh, it's it's a good time too, especially with the gravekeeper. He's wandering around drunk as fuck, and he's like, "Where's the road? I can't find the road." And he calls, and he looks. He's singing a song about like Kathleen or whatever. He looks as yeah, like Kathleen, yeah. you led me astray, and takes another <laughs> sip of the alcohol. It's funny as fuck. Yeah, he's great. And then he, um, uh, he was not supposed to die. This man uh, in the original script, he doesn't because he's kind of integral to the ending of the movie that I'm, the alternate ending that never got filmed that I'll get to later. So just bear in mind that like this was added by the studio. And since they weren't using the ending that had uh, Martin, the grave digger show up again, I ah, just kill him, <laughs> just kill him in this scene here. And they do. They do. He makes a fun death joke. He looks at his bottle. He's like, Kathleen, you're going to be the death of me. What a way to go. Huh? And he throws mm-hmm. the water bottle back, and Jason catches it. Yes. Breaks it with his hands and stabs him in the chest with the water, with, with the fucking bottle. Swag. Turns him in the neck. <laughs> stabs him in the neck with it. My bad. No hesitation. Yeah, no. fucking wombo combo. That ain't Boom. <laughs> And then, how's he kill the other two here? So Steven runs after to find out what's going on, and he sees sees Jason mutilating the corpse, and he takes off. Jason takes off <laughs> yeah. after them. Then they try to get away to their motorcycle, and then Jason just uh, stabs through the both of them. Oh, right, that's right. All One the stab. Alright, so now, we got a little scene here where all the kids at camp are sleeping. Yes. Um, I, I, we get like a lot of, uh, shots of the kids. Um, I, one of them is reading a comic book, by the way. Yeah. And uh, I paused it cause I'm Genhart and I was like, what is the comic they're reading? And it, it looks to be a power man and iron fist. Comic. I saw Luke Cage and iron fist in there. Yeah, okay. And, uh, 
But but the really funny one is uh, one of the kids is holding a novel that is I, I'm pretty sure not for kids. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, what was it? It was like it's like it was like a joke. It was like no exit yeah. or something like that. <laughs> and uh, you know what a good visual gag. Uh, almost as good as when Jason was up in this place and. Uh, or that might be later, but like it is. He died once again. We're, we're what this happened two weeks ago, almost two for two on Genhart deaths. Let me disconnect and recall him. Hey, are you, oh hey, there you are. We lost you there for a second. Yeah, for some reason. I don't know. Your voice um, just like went away. So did yours, buddy. Well, <laughs> I left and re yeah, I left and rejoined the call. I was like, oh, maybe this will fix it. And it didn't. I was like, oh fuck. Yeah. So what was the last thing I said? Like the comic or whatever. You're talking about what? Or the, the no comic exit was. book? Yeah. Yeah. No exit book was the last thing. Okay. So then, what happens here? I don't think Jason shows up at the the camp yet. No, not yet. Just one of the little girls gets scared. And then they right. Like there's she, a monster. She's calmed down. Yeah. Yeah. It's about like you know, there's a monster here. It saw him. <laughs> he wanted to kill and me. Like, don't worry. We're gonna be out there, and any monster will take care of him. And she's like, okay. And it's just like a funny uh -huh. meme. Ha ha ha. Another funny meme where she's like, it was real, just like on TV. Like ha ha. Right. So now we got we got some yucking going on. This whole part is, I think, my favorite part of the entire fucking movie. It is fucking hysterical all the way through. <laughs> this, this is, uh, you know, uh, Court and uh, what the fuck's the name of this other girl played by Darcy DeMoss? Uh, Nikki. So they fucking. Um. Yeah, they did get a fucking funny dude. She's like dancing on his dick. It's fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> and and she's like forcing him to keep fucking until like the song is over. Yeah. And he's like, how long is the song? And she's like, ten more minutes. And he's like, <laughs> but then Jason uh, unplugs their uh, RV here. He cuts and the all the power goes power. out. Yeah. And uh, he finishes. <laughs> as soon as she stops. And she's like, what the hell? And he's like, well, you said when the song stopped. <laughs> but um, cha. So uh, she makes him go out and see what's going on. And uh, he, you know, he doesn't do a very good job of searching in, in anything. He kind of right. just gets spooked when she comes out as well, anyway. Uh, and because uh, she's like wondering what the fuck he's doing. And it appears somebody has cut cord, and they're like, "What the fuck, man?" And he's like, "Well, I don't know. I mean, that means somebody's out and about. I don't like this. We should go." Right? Yeah, they need to get ready to leave. Start up the RV mm -hmm. for a second. They think it's fucked, which it's like a little fake out. They just have to flip a switch. Think it's that funny. was a good moment. I liked it. The the the, <laughs> the cliche was not a cliche after all. They were able to start the car. 
And uh, he's like, oh, hell yeah, I want to drive this. And he, like, immediately floors the fuck out of it. It knocks her over. And she's, like, fucking comically zooming towards the back and getting hurt and going like, ah, fucking stop it, Court. He's like, whoa, whoa. By the way, we're blasting an Alice Cooper song here. Teenage Frankenstein. (laughs) Which fits well. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's, it's the first of three Alice Cooper songs in this movie. Obviously, one of them is the mo- more prevalent than the others, but uh, so she eventually uh, gets grabbed by Jason, who has been in the RV this entire time Somehow. and pops out of the bathroom yeah. and brings her in and begins thrashing her all about in the bathroom, and she is freaking out. And Court is a dumbass and comically is just like, whoa, babe, what are you doing back there? Are you having a good time? <laughs> Yeah, like, it's like you, so you take it fucking getting murdered. Mind if I watch? Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> Calm down, Travolta Jr. But anyway, and then of course Jason, uh, after dispatching her, creeps up behind him as teenage Frankenstein is blaring, uh, and kills him. Yep, and it flips. he sees him in the rear view, and yeah. and, and we get this big elaborate stunt crash of the RV flipping and it's pretty fucking dope. <laughs> the fucker flips the like RV. three times. It, it crashes and lands on its side yeah, and it just slides a big distance yeah, and, and then gets lit on fire and then the dopest shit is Jason just gets out of it and stands on top of it and it's a hell of a good shot. Yeah, it's dope. <laughs> by the way, all, all done and performed by uh, our dude here, Mr. C.J. Graham, who was not a stuntman, <laughs> but they sure had him do a lot of stuntman stuff. Uh, I don't know how if, how necessarily legal all that was, you know, because they set him on fire. They had him do all kinds of stuff in this movie. Uh, he was super game to do it, but not oh, yeah. a, not a professional stuntman, <laughs> as far as I know. So fucking. Oh no, did I lose you again? Then how did this happen twice? Again! No! He's dead, boys! He's dead! I can't believe it, he's dead! We killed Gen! How will we ever get through? He's gone forever! Or until he comes back. Did I get cut out again? Hey, you did. What the fuck? I was happy to buddy. Bullshit. Your internet must be in a lot of trouble. Uh, Where did I get cut off? Where did I get cut off? Uh, You got cut off right when you talk about stunt guy's game to do it. You know, he's not an actual stunt guy. I mean, yeah. Well, okay, whatever. Anyway, what happens next in the movie? Yeah. So now we got a little scene here where uh. We're back at the police station, and now the reports of the killings start coming in. Yeah, and, uh... And then immediately the chief thinks that that Tommy Jarvis was behind it. Yeah, instead of thinking that maybe Tommy Jarvis was right, he immediately thinks that Tommy Jarvis is now Jason. Hmm. He tells her to stay put, she's like, nah. 
she's she's trying to like tip herself back in the chair and like lean herself up, and then the phone rings and she gets scared and falls over. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, the phone rings and it's uh it's Tommy Jarvis calling from the phone booth. Yeah. He's like, listen, Jason's there. But I have a plan. <laughs> he read this occult book. And now he thinks <laughs> yeah, plan. conveniently he just reads a, a one book and is like, yeah, I figured out how to kill Jason. <laughs> good, good job, Tommy. Yep. And she's like, she's like, that thinks you're responsible for stuff that's happened out here tonight. He's like, oh, he's like, Jason's out there, Megan. I need help. She's like, okay, I'm gonna yeah, get you. And she's super willing to help him because she wants that Tommy dick. <laughs> you do. She wants. She wants nicked down by the Tommy Tom. Yeah. You know, last week I was comparing him to Cloud because he was like seeing visions of his enemy. <laughs> in like nightmarish daydreams. Uh, now I'm going to compare him to Cloud because there is a character who um, comically, obviously wants to have sex with him and he's kind of just like, I don't know, dial tone noise. Because <laughs> 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 he's more like obsessed with like <laughs> going after Jason, you know. Right. No time for love, Dr. Jones. You know, uh, but anyway <laughs> um so Jason finally shows up at the camp. Yes. Time for more killings. Oh boy. And the door swings he open. Grabs, yeah. yeah. He grabs he grabs the one girl, like pulls her out the window. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. because uh, she thinks that like Court and uh the other girl are fucking with her, trying to scare her. Nah, it's Jason, bitch. And he fucking yeets her out the window. Not in the same way that he yeeted that one girl out of the window. But, uh, yeah. And then gets her head turned completely around. Just gross. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Similar to another thing from part four. Right. And, uh... Yeah, Megan I comes think, to, uh... Megan comes and picks up Tommy now. And, uh... Yeah. Tells him to move his we, fucking we, truck, and they're off. Yeah, he he's all like, you know, d- no, you're not coming with me. This is dangerous. He doesn't want to endanger anybody else with this Jason nonsense. And but, uh, I, I get I get his concerns because Jason killed his mom and and a lot of people that he had just met. Uh, but she's trying to fuck. Yeah, not only that, but she's kind of just like along for the ride and like willing to do shit. Uh, it's not really clear if she believes him or not necessarily. I'm not sure at she first cares here. Yeah, I, she and and she's kind of like a crazy person, as we see in a minute here, because she's like, "It's my car, I'm gonna drive," and we get like a car chase scene because she's trying to drive him somewhere while the cops are like everywhere, and she says for him to get his head down, and this means that she shoves his head directly into her lap. Uh, and we get several shots from Tommy's POV staring directly at her crotch. And he's like, all right, whatever you say. <laughs> and, and, uh, she's kind of like, 
doing it on purpose entirely. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Jamming his head down there. Um but anywho, uh they eventually get caught after like a brief car chase scene in our in the middle of our slasher film. <laughs> uh and I believe they get caught by her dad. Mm-hmm. Yep, and he throws Tommy back in the cell. And then also yeah. at, at the camp, uh, the little girl, who was scared before, gets up and finds the bloody machete that Jason apparently just left on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then the, the counselor has to, like, try to talk her out of it, be like, oh, that's just the boys trying to scare us, haha. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> A likely story. And they go out searching for the boys. <laughs> yeah, because we could scare them. And, and the little girl's like, okay. Excited about the prospect. Um, the little girl, by the way, is. Is. There it is. Ah. Courtney Vickery as Nancy. Uh,. A lot. I've seen a couple people suggest that, uh, oh, her name's Nancy, just like Nancy from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and that's why she has nightmares and stuff. And I'm like, dude, it could. I feel like it's Nancy more of a coincidence. Nancy's a, pretty Nancy's a very common name. <laughs> you guys are like connecting dots that aren't there, but <laughs> that's kind of like what you get when you go on IMDb trivia. Sometimes though, there's people right. that put some stupid shit. <laughs> Yep. So we're back at the we're back at the police station. Mm-hmm. Tommy's in jail. Yep. Again. <laughs> and uh, this time he's uh, our sheriff is putting an- another officer here, um, who we saw earlier in the movie, but we kind of just placed over this scene. He has this stupid fucking attachment on his gun. <laughs> yeah, it's a big ass red dot. Yeah, and he's like, I'm going to put this red dot right on your eyes, kid. Or whatever he says. And, uh... So the sheriff has to go respond to a 911 call at the camp. Because I I think What's-Her-Name reports murders before getting killed. Yeah, right here is when she gets killed, actually. Yeah. Um... The door keeps flicking open. She keeps getting scared by it. Mm-hmm. And, uh... And then Jason comes in. Yep. Yeah, Jason comes in and, and fucking... Uh, we don't really see what he does, but it's messy. Yeah, we, we know that slams. much. And she just screams. Yeah. Blood goes everywhere, all over the windows and uh, shit. Yeah. I like how we window. don't necessarily see what he does we just see the aftermath and it from a distance yeah it's actually a nice touch um because usually they 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 have to show you the details this movie we gotta see jason stabbing somebody through the head right right and like sometimes it's effective when you don't even see that i think this is a really effective kill even though you don't necessarily see what's happening it's just gruesome to imagine what's happening (laughs) Uh, so the sheriff 
decides that he got to go down there and Tommy knows it's Jason. He's like, you got to let me out. We got to go do that. We have to return him to his home soil or or whatever Tommy's plan is. We don't really get the full scope of it until he, he, where he's in the middle of doing it at the end of the movie. But, uh, Sheriff ain't having any of that. He's going by himself and he's, uh, leaving this other dickweed officer in charge of uh, keeping Tommy in the jail and keeping his daughter in the police station. Yep. They trick, uh, they trick the deputy. They get him to come up to the jail cell and she steals his gun. Uh, yeah. In in a very elaborate (laughs) plan that they slapped Ash together here where she's like drawing something and he, like Tommy like tricks her to come near and then like they make out but like she pretends like she doesn't want to kiss Tommy yeah but she and, totally and, does yeah and then like the dude uh, the other cop is like hey get off of her and like gets too near and and they they end up getting the keys off of him and the gun and then they lock him in the cell yep. <laughs> and um that's the last we see of this cop for that movie (laughs) even though um uh originally i guess uh there was an alternate ending that was filmed uh i don't think it's on any of the dvds though i haven't seen a whole lot of proof of its existence but apparently one of the alternate endings was we just cut back to this police station after the events of everything and the dude is just in the cell and he's trying to get out. He's trying to desperately to grab the keys from inside the cell, and he can't. And then the uh-huh. door of the police station swings open, and he's like, who is that? And then it just abruptly ends. And I think it's supposed to imply that Jason got out of the predicament he's in at the end of this movie, and then is now resuming his killing spree, and he starts at the police station here, uh, which is really improbable. Yeah, highly. And... uh I think it's funnier just to not know what happens to this dude after. Yeah, I'd like absolutely. to think they just leave him in the jail cell and ditch town at the end of this movie. Yeah, fuck, um, <laughs> fuck him, dude. Anyway. Yeah, the, uh, uh, Jason goes into the cavern where the children are. They're all still asleep. And, uh, he's yeah, staring down the one little girl. This is a creepy visual. He's staring down the uh, one little girl. He definitely is. And she is totally petrified yeah because uh, hey it is the boogeyman he's here now right and and uh he's real yeah the only reason he leaves is because he hears the police pull in yeah but she thinks it's because she like started praying and she does like the fucking like now i pray my lord to keep whatever however it goes i don't know have you ever heard anner sandman i have yeah that that anyway (laughs) And uh pray the Lord my soul to, to keep. Yep, so now the cops uh show up and they go into the room where the one girl died and there is blood everywhere. It is really bad and gross. Yeah, the cop is just like aghast. There's blood yeah. in like literally every inch of the fucking room. Uh, he invited another cop along too, didn't he? Yeah, some he did. mustached motherfucker here. Yeah. Typical cop looking cop. <laughs> And uh, I think they get the kids all in one cabin, boys and girls, because they were separate cabins. 
but they shove them all into one. Which is probably not the best move, actually. But hey, they're cops. They don't know how to handle a situation. So, <laughs> um, shoves and meanwhile, all the children into one, yeah, into the one cabin and says, hey, yeah. get underneath the beds. Yeah, sure, that'll stop Jason. Well, I mean, like, I guess we could have this discussion here. Like, do you think Jason would kill a kid? Yeah. I, I, see, it's weird because I don't think he would. Because I'd like to think that Jason kind of recognizes kids as innocence largely because he recognizes himself as a kid as an innocent and that's why he does the murder spree maybe subconsciously because I don't think Jason is smart enough to put even together what I just said right but the gist of it I would say <sighs> but but the but the evidence against that is part four because he's clearly coming after Tommy Jarvis in that movie right before Tommy kills his ass fucking care I think, uh... So, I don't know. know. I think he would have killed those kids if he wasn't stopped by the police sirens, honestly. It's pretty grim to think. (laughs) At this point, he's like a supernatural, like, dumb-as-fuck reborn death machine and probably does no regard for what human life really is. Probably not a lot of thoughts clinking around that maggot brain anyway. Right. Um, yeah. Um, I, I know that there's some fiction and maybe even some of the comics I'm going to get to that toy with this idea that Jason wouldn't kill a kid. And I am curious. I am interested in that interpretation. It's in- it's interesting, but. There's not a way a lot of weight to it in the movies, I'd say. Right. And so uh, the little girl runs out. Of the camp and like. Trying to tell the cop that, oh, the scary monster, scary monster's here. Then the cop's like, mm. what scary monster? And then Jason and pulls then on up, comes on yeah. up in his flesh whip, and... <laughs> Ew. <laughs> and she's like, that That's one, disgust. dumb. Yeah, that monster. And then he's like, oh. He just shoots shit. Jason like six times just to show how uh, we, we get how we get hard conservation that yeah he he definitely got an upgrade because guns seem to actually stop him before wasn't a lot of instances of it but I think there was a couple yeah where a gun like actually stopped him but now it's not really doing much let's do nothing he's just walking right through that shit. Yeah, he's like, it's a minor inconvenience. I think the one cop shoots him deadass in the hockey mask, and it doesn't do a damn thing. <laughs> it does nothing. Yeah. He does not care. He's a, he's just like, he's, he's in his flesh whip, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> he just crushes that cop's head with his hands. Yeah, dude. And she runs to the car, grabs a shotgun. And uh oh, Jason's there. Oh, maybe bigger gun will do better job. No, slightly because it's knocking Jason over. Yeah, it's like the video game. Yeah, you stun him for like ten seconds. And he just gets right back on up. Mm-hmm. The, the chief really realizes that his efforts are futile. He just runs away. Yeah, and I think this is when we have. Uh... Tommy and Megan pull up. Yeah, they show up. They, they they make sure all the kids are okay first. And like, okay, go back and yeah. go go lie down back where back where the chief told you. We'll be right back. Then you get the two little kids, snarky kids from earlier. Like, oh right, yeah, we're dead mean. <laughs> what were you gonna be when you grow up? 
It's so fucking funny. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, Tommy goes about setting up his plan here, which seems to be uh, luring Jason into the middle of Camp Crystal Lake and then tying a large stone to him with chains and then plopping him in the river and letting him sink to the bottom, which isn't a terrible plan, but I don't know how necessarily he was going to do it. Like, yeah. like he literally just drives out in the middle of the lake and is just looking <laughs> and then trying to see where Jason will pop up so he can throw the chains over him. I don't know. Tommy has balls. I'll give him that. Oh, but yeah. Maybe he, this isn't the smartest, most well put together plan. Yep. And uh, Megan doesn't seem to think so either. She's like, Tommy, don't, don't fucking do this. You're going to get yourself killed, dude. And he's like, I don't I don't I have to do this. He's after me. And. Right. Well, right now he isn't, but like, yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah. So then, uh, police chief finally gets killed in a battle with Jason, and he does a he does a pretty good job of beating him up. But you know, yeah. Now that but, Jason you know, is an immortal being, it doesn't fucking matter anymore. Like, no. Fucking hits him over the head with a rock like four times, and Jason still just grabs him and folds his body in half, which is disgusting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, dude. Hell yeah. <laughs> So after Jason's done saying a cab over here, he uh, <laughs> heads over <laughs> to kill Megan. And I think some of the kids, because I think Megan's where the kids are. Yeah, and so he, uh, he busts in where the kids are first, which once again, yeah. just proving yeah, my they're point. All in that, one like, place. He's, he's ready to fucking kill those kids. He doesn't care. I guess so. He does the walk through the door thing, which is fucking dope. I love that shit. Yes, he does, which is in the game. Right. Of course. But only when Jason has achieved his rage status, whatever that means in the context of the movie. I guess he would at this point, you know? Yeah, sure. Well, he mad. He always mad. I don't know. Yeah, he tries to squeeze Megan's head, and then then Tommy's on the lake like, Jason, you're after me! Come here! I think he calls him a pussy. He does does, eventually... It calls yeah. him maggot head a few times and he goes in there. Then he tries to go turn mm. around to Megan. He's like, come here, you pussy! And then, <laughs> and then Jason finally just fully goes after him because he doesn't like being called yeah, a pussy dude. too much. No. Well, I wouldn't either. But it's funny that Jason reacts to it. It's, yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, this guy, this fucking lumbering behemoth would know that he's being insulted. <laughs> calls him just like... Yeah. He calls him cheese. He's like, he's like, come on, chicken shit, come on, you pussy. Yeah. <laughs> but Jason's like, all right, fuck this. Starts walking towards him. Mm-hmm. And here's our climactic lake fight scene. And uh, Tommy's trying to catch Jason in the thing, and Jason's hiding in the water. I think he pops out at him a couple times. Yeah, and uh, Tommy sets the pours oil in the water and sets it on fire. Yeah, would that work? I yes, know, gas actually. doesn't gas doesn't blend with water. Gas sits on top of water. Okay. So you actually can do that. That's a thing until the gas burns. I'm just unfamiliar. I was thinking that I've seen similar things to that, but like I don't know for sure. But yeah, all right. So Jason doesn't care though. Nope, he pops and... up and him and Tommy wrestle for a little while. Tommy's struggling yeah. to get the chain over his head. Mm-hmm. Then finally he does. And then Jason breaks the boat, and they submerge underwater together. Uh, yeah. Get a cool little sign at the bottom of the lake. 
This was like a old Camp Crystal Lake sign and the Crystal Lake yeah. etched out with fucking paint, like spray paint says Camp Blood. Mm-hmm. Great reference there. And they're they're sinking to the bottom, and Tommy's gonna die until uh, Megan saves his ass, swims out, and gets him out. Yep, but well, not before also, Jason grabs her leg. Yep, and now she does <laughs> uh, awesome kill, where she grabs the propeller. Oh my god! And turns it on, yeah. and turns it in, into Jason's face, and and makes a fucking mess of meat out of Jason's neck. Yeah, it's pretty good. By the way, uh, this this scene was at least partially filmed in Tom McLaughlin's dad's swimming pool. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, and actually, so they did the part where Jason's getting hacked by the boat propeller, and what they did was they actually had the gore in the pool, you know, as they were doing this effect, and the fake gore. Uh, fucking clogged the man's pool filter and broke the shit out of it. <laughs> and uh, but Tom's dad was cool with it because he was like, "Hey, now I can brag that a Hollywood movie was shot in my backyard." I mean, approximately ten seconds of a Hollywood movie, but hey, not many people get to say that, I guess. Right. That's cool. <laughs> oh, I hope they replace the pool. Ah, uh, maybe with some of the proceeds, the gross. <laughs> and yeah, Jason floats the bottom. Yep, and yep, and all our, we've survived with our two people and the kids. Mm-hmm. And it goes to morning, and then it shows Jason sunk underwater, and that angry eye is still open. Yeah, but everything's cool for now. You know, Jason's still alive under there. It's not putting an end to it, but like. Seems like it'd be pretty tough for him to get out, you know? Uh. Yeah, you know, until probably about a year from now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, a literal year. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know how this goes? Yeah, that's it. That's the movie. That's the movie. It's good shit. I uh, quite enjoyed it. Easily the best Friday movie so far. I do say so myself. Um, yeah. Uh, by a mile, I would say. Um, a couple things would have made it actually even better than it is. There was a few different endings that Tom McLaughlin had in mind before uh, they settled on just, you know, Jason opening his eye in the depths below. So one ending... They had Jason's mask float up to the surface, and another was the one I said uh, about the cop in the police station. Uh, now, Paramount didn't really like these endings because they left Jason's fate a little too ambiguous for their tastes. They wanted it. They wanted audiences to be sure that, look, Jason's back and he's going to be back for quite some time. We're going to make a seven. Don't worry. <laughs> but. Um, the most interesting ending was never even filmed. Uh, you know, you can see this scene. They storyboarded it before the movie came out. And um, as an extra on the Jason Lives DVD, uh, they actually brought in uh, 
Bob Larkin, who played the Gravedigger, uh, to record new dialogue. And I think they even brought in Harry Manfredini to record new score for this little scene. And you can watch it on YouTube. Just type in, like, Jason Lives alternate ending or something like that. Uh, I watched it. It's pretty cool. I'm going to describe it for you. Um, So, uh, the the gravedigger walks up to the Voorhees grave here. And uh, there's a mysterious man, a large, imposing figure with long hair, uh, older man, standing at the grave. And uh, Martin the Gravedigger is like, ah, Mr. Voorhees, uh, visiting your son and wife, I see. And I think they pan over and show that Pamela's grave is now right next to Jason's as well, uh, which it was in a different location before, but I guess it's been moved. And um, he's like, oh, yes, I've been keeping uh, care of uh, you and your wife's, uh, your wife and your son's graves for uh, just like you said, too. Uh, and I think that it's sort of implying that this man was paid off to uh, set up the graves for them. Because uh, I think there was a bit of a discrepancy in the canon about Jason getting cremated. So as an attempt to alleviate some of that, they like they were going to do this a little bit. I don't think it's that big of a deal, but yeah, um, the dude hands Martin the Gravedigger a big wad of bills. Uh, and the guy's like, oh, OK, I'll leave you alone. I'll leave you in private. Like, like he's basically just paying him off to like, fuck off, leave me alone. And this dude looks at the grave and then he looks at the camera and he has like some fucking menacing evil eyes. And uh, I'm not really necessarily sure if it's supposed to imply that he knows that Jason isn't in the grave anymore or what it's supposed to imply. But then it goes back to the lake and the mask floats up. And uh, this was supposed to be, yeah, Jason's fucking dad who has never been in any of them. That's weird. Uh, Elias, Elias Voorhees. And he was, he was portrayed here as a mute, just like Jason. And it was going to just, you know, Tom McLaughlin didn't want to do too much. He just wanted to set up something interesting for a sequel. But then Paramount was like, we don't want you to set up a character that we have to bring up and address in part seven. We don't want that responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think they were kind of learning their lessons from like things like, you know, part five ends with a big cliffhanger that is supposedly supposed to set up something that never gets resolved because part six ignores it because it was shit. So maybe they were cautious of that. But, uh, yeah. Um, obviously this ending wasn't used, but I am super intrigued by what it could mean. Because, like, I don't necessarily know what you would do with Jason's dad as a character or as a plot device or anything. But it's at least something different. And it could have been interesting at the very least. Uh, I know that, like, we don't know a whole lot about Jason at all. Like, I, I mean, Jason's dad, sorry. Um, I, I think there's there's the comic that goes into Pamela's backstory. Uh, I'm not going to read it because I'm not, I don't, I'm not that interested, but basically they just portray him as a deadbeat 
piece of shit who like beats Pamela and I think Pamela eventually like kills him. Um like that's like one of the first like telltale signs that she's gonna be crazy. And then she's really set off once Jason dies. But like this had a much more interesting perspective on it. Like maybe uh J- maybe Jason's dad would uh wanna put an end to the the horrors that his family name has wrought, you know? Who knows? Yeah, who knows? We'll never know. Uh, it it could have been interesting, but we'll never know. <laughs> and they're never going to explore it unless eventually they decide to in a sequel. But there hasn't been a Friday the 13th movie in like 10 years. So who knows? I, I don't know. <sighs> um, And I, I, I don't know. So like since they didn't kill Martin, they didn't need this scene. They killed Martin earlier, which kind of put a damper on if they would have wanted to put it back in anyway. So, eh. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Nah. Uh, so this is a good movie. Ah. Uh, anyway. Oh yeah. By the way, the credits had uh, Alice Cooper classic. He's back. The man behind the mask, which is a scene that Alice wrote for this movie and is about Jason Voorhees. Um, it's great. It's a super cheesy '80s song. I love it. Um, oh, I forgot to mention the other song that was in this movie is called Hard Rock Summer. It was kind of just like a throw it together song that Alice made. Uh, it was used in the car chase scene where Megan was driving like a maniac. Um, but anyway, he's back. Uh, had a music video and everything. Um, and it even featured uh, CJ Graham. That's his name, right? CJ Graham. Yeah, as Jason. Uh, like, because it had, like, you know, it's like a a lot of tie-in music videos <laughs> for a film where they just show a lot of the movie. Like, I think when, like, we were talking about Batman Forever, I made fun of Kiss from a Rose. Yeah. Where, where they're cutting back and forth between Seal and footage from Batman Forever. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes it look like Seal is serenading Batman. But um, uh, this was uh, integrated a little better, although it is a super cheesy music video. Uh, hard to find, weirdly. Uh, if you type in He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask on YouTube, the first thing that shows up is not the official music video. It is just a video someone made of clips from the movie set to the music. That's not the official music video. Um, and then there's just like, you know, obviously audio links. It, it's weird that it's actually hard to find because like, and it's never been included on any DVD releases. Um, there is a shitty quality upload of it on YouTube that I watch. And I may even put on our Twitter because I think it's worth watching uh, that somebody just literally recorded from MTV2 at some point. <laughs> um, but in it. um <laughs> it's like it has like a little bit of a plot where like uh this dad is telling his son to go out and have fun on the town tonight and you're gonna go see a flick right with a girl and then they go to see um friday the 13th 6 <laughs> and um it obviously it's cutting back and forth between uh clips from the movie and kids sitting in the theater watching the movie and also alice cooper sitting on like a throne and you know singing the song and shit and uh, just generally being, you know, Alice Cooper, <laughs> uh, the shock rock man that he is. Uh, but uh, the fun part 
is <laughs> the effects are terrible because they didn't have necessarily good green screen back then. But, uh, you know, they go into the movie like the the guy on the date with his girl and oh, they're like God. evading Jason and like Jason like comes out of the screen and like <laughs> scares the moviegoers and oh, like God. at the end at the end he like grabs Alice Cooper <laughs> and takes him into the movie and Alice is like ah <laughs> and like uh and then it, and then he goes back home and he's like uh well son did you enjoy the movie and and the, and the kids like yeah, I, I really didn't understand it. And then his dad turns around like you don't see his dad the whole time. It's like a turned around chair and he turns around. And it's Alice Cooper. <laughs> and Alice Cooper's and Alice Cooper just says, well, let me explain. And it's just like supposed to be like a horror stinger ending, I guess. <laughs> but like, that's funny. It's so cheesy and stupid and the effects are bad. And like, maybe that's why it's been like kind of forgotten to time. But I wish it wouldn't be. Because it's a pretty funny music video and uh, more footage of one of the best Jasons to ever exist, uh, albeit in in this very, very abbreviated format (laughs) of just popping out in a shitty effect and grabbing Alice Cooper and taking him into the the movie realm. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's it's a fun time. So anyway... uh, this movie did decently well, but it was, you know, the first one to have a declining return in comparison to the last one. Uh, like, part five made, like, I think 22 million. This one made 19.4 uh, against its $3 million budget, um, which is still respectable, and these movies are still doing well. But this is one of the first ones to not open at number one. I mean, it had some stiff competition that year. Uh, and, and pretty much every year in the 80s. The 80s were stacked. Big movies, of course. But, um, you know, yeah, the, the proceeds and the, the phenomenon is starting to wane just the slightest bit. And I think you're going to see the gross of these movies decline over the next two entries here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um. But um, for once, the movie did weirdly okay with critics, and that's probably because it's way better (laughs) as a whole than a lot of them. Uh, It has the second highest Rotten Tomatoes score of the series, only behind the first entry with a 52%. It's still rotten, but usually they're way lower. Like, you know, just for comparison's sake, uh, we watched part three, and that was a 12%. We watched part four, and that was like a 20%. We watched part five, and that was a 16%. So, like, all the way up at 52% is pretty high for this franchise. Um, And, you know, I think it deserves it. It's it's a solid movie. I mean, it's the best Um, even grumpy ass Gene Siskel, <laughs> who has famously hated the hell out of this franchise uh, in our past couple weeks when we've talked about him, um, called it the least offensive entry in the most offensive series ever. Uh, hey, it's not a huge victory. It's a small victory, but it's still a victory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously, this is kind of like 
has has a legacy as a fan favorite in the franchise and and also a legacy in the slasher film genre in general because it did pave the way for stuff like scream and and even later than that cabin in the woods to you know movies that kind of like metatextually analyze their own genre in, in the sense of horror it's something that doesn't happen that often right um and i'm glad that now it kind of can uh largely in thanks to this movie for kind of like breaking open the seal on that one you know <laughs> right and uh it was a hell of a good time this is the best one i think we're in agreement on that one right yeah at number one put it there slap it in punch it in we're done i'm slapping it in so our current rankings oh hang on a second i'm writing it down and i just wrote friday the friday friday the friday of the movie friday to friday six so yeah our, our order from best to worst would be six three two uh final chapter aka four and then five and then one so one is still at the bottom um so next up is part seven the new blood and i think this is the first time we get kane hotter as jason um but from what i've heard of this one it has a bit of a bizarre premise because i believe uh our main character is a fucking psychic girl i don't know if you've heard anything about i don't i know nothing about this movie uh there's a psychic girl in it i i believe they were they were trying to from what i've seen uh they were trying to bill it as like uh jason versus carrie and and um i don't know how well they succeeded i'm gonna guess they didn't because i don't hear anything positive about this one. Oh yeah i'm sure um i'm sure it's terrible <laughs> i'm sure after so this i don't movie, i don't have high hopes i'm sure after this fucking movie sold like as far as like return margin did worse than the others mm-hmm. they're probably like oh, yeah. no, we're not gonna do this again yeah well who knows um yeah we'll see what our the, the second half of this franchise entails uh, uh we only got two more from what i remember entries from what i can tell it's all worse so get ready <laughs> only the next two are actually still put out by paramount after that it changes hands so i'm going to assume they get pretty bad um i am looking forward to seeing kane hotter though because i know that he's like the the goat jason by a lot of accounts oh yeah um and we'll see it'll be fun so until then i guess uh you know stay safe out there everybody yeah and remember jason Voorhees says a cab and so should you uh <laughs> good yeah. night everybody